0: Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, along with Clint Longenecker. I'm John Manuel, coming to you from the Baseball America podcast nook. Our podcast is powered by Louisville Slugger. Leave your mark with a 2014 attack, raid, and assault bat lineup this season. Stronger, lighter, farther. Louisville Slugger. So, Clint, is this your first podcast in the nook? Just me and you in the nook? Because I know we've had you in on other podcasts, but it might be your first time crossing over that line from listener to podcast nook denizen. It is. That's exciting. It's exciting to be here. It's pretty cool. And I'm excited that we're doing a draft podcast. And uh, as usual, we'll take your questions. Uh, any podcast, you can email those to us at podcast at com. The more uh, 2013, 2014 method to do that, of course, is over Twitter. Uh, I'm at John Manuel BA. He's at Clint underscore BA, correct? There's an underscore yes, in there, sir. is there not? Uh, not 2400. That's the old email address. <laughs> no. but what, what is the significance of the 2400? My number of basketball was 24. That okay. was taken. All right. Add to zero. That was also taken. Well, Clint and I already had a Cavs <laughs> podcast and our sound check, and then uh, we also did our Mount Rushmore of uh, manager rants. And, uh, Clint, I do want to ask you before we dive into the draft podcast, Now, you've worked here since full-time since July, June, I should say June, and you interned here previously. What's the Mount Rushmore of John Manuel Aaron Fit rant? Because there has to be one or two that stick out. Or they're just so, are they so constant? <laughs> That's tough to distinguish. Are they? There are about fifty benchmarks. <laughs> they're they're so frequent in nature. Um, I would imagine it can be difficult to narrow down, especially for me. Uh, Aaron, uh, Aaron has his moments, his rant, ranty moments. Sadly, the longer I've been here, the more I've uh, been in charge, and the more I, entitled I feel to my uh, opinion, very loud opinion. So. We're gonna have some opinions for you on um on the draft, the twenty fourteen draft. But Clint, this is the first because we've been so busy, this is the first draft podcast we've done. Let's just size up the overall class. It feels like the twenty thirteen draft, and it feels like the last two drafts. Maybe maybe this is natural because the 2011 draft class was so strong, Absolutely. was so highly regarded, and here we've already seen those
1: guys start to make an impact at the big league level, and very quickly. So it was evaluated
0: at the time as a strong draft. It has shown to be a strong draft since then. The 2012 and 2013 drafts felt, you know, down in comparison. It feels like we're closer to 2011. Not an epic draft this year, but this feels like a better draft than the last two classes, and it's a good year. In which to have extra draft picks? Do you feel that's the industry assessment?
1: Absolutely, and I think just because of the position players at the top, the 2012 draft, you know, is is still pretty good. Certainly not as good as the 2011, but you know, right. the fact that you have you know Buxton and Correa there at the top, and a few other position players, the athletic high school position players really are the d- defining characteristic of that class. And we don't have quite the sheer depth of uh, high school position players, but we certainly still have some guys who have some awesome offensive thump. You know, with Gatewood and Jackson. So we, we've got a pretty good variety, but the defining characteristic on both the high school and college side right. is the pitching.
0: Even that 2012 draft, uh, that's a great point on the 2012 draft. Even at that time, the, the thing is, that was a draft. I guess, and really what a draft is thought of in retrospect, usually you start with who went 1 1. Absolutely. And that 2012 draft had a number of players the Astros could have considered at 1 1. They could have gone Carlos Correa and do what they did. He was a 1-1 talent. I don't know if he was a consensus 1-1 talent, but he was sort of in that mix. There was about a mix of seven guys you could conceive of going Absolutely. 1-1 in that draft class, and that makes it a better-than-average draft class. Uh, 2012, for me, it was uh, that, that's, that's what made it good. The 2013 draft last year, you basically had three guys you could conceive of going 1-1. That's not as good as seven. I can do a little basic math. <laughs> this year, it feels like... There's less discussion about who will go 1-1 because it's been thought to be a foregone conclusion. I don't think that we've knocked Carlos Rodon off that number one perch so far, but certainly he's come to personify this draft class for a lot of people. But, the earl- but Jeff Hoffman's been number two, and Jeff Hoffman has been in the top five of this draft class basically since midway through his freshman year. I guess toward the end of his freshman year, and they had a big summer in the Cape. Absolutely. But the velocity jumped, fresh northern arm, um, how close did you think the gap was between those players coming in? I know J.J. and I have been pretty strident. I thought there was a pretty big gap between those guys. J.J. thinks the gap was even bigger. I definitely think the first three weeks, Jeff Hoffman has narrowed that gap considerably by the way that he's come out and the fact that Carlos Rodon has not yet kind of hit his peak um, that we saw at
1: the end of last summer. Heading into it, there's a little bit of information. I got a chance to see Hoffman in the fall. I didn't think it was quite as big as Gaff, but it was clearly defined. When we heard from the scouting directors, in the fall and in the winter, universally, with the exception of of, of one or two guys, everybody said Rodon. But yeah, I mean Hoffman certainly has came out strong. The one stumble that he had was against the best lineup that he has ever faced in his college career in number one ranked Virginia that has a handful of guys that are going to be drafted in top two or three rounds. But the stuff has been there. I mean, both of his off-speed pitches, you could say, flash 65 or better, and he's touched 97, 98 with the fastball. And not only that, it's, just, it's how he does it, his command, his ability to locate the fastball. He pitches with tremendous plane. Right. So he really has everything to look for in a sort of scouting convention. And I mean, plus a with, projection, plus projection,
0: absolutely. I mean, and that, he, he has so the much. bulldog mentality to go with it. It really feels like the the. The, uh, let's focus on Hoffman, because we've talked a lot about Rodon on the podcast. We've written about him. Let's focus on Jeff Hoffman. You've seen him, what, three times already, correct? You saw him in the fall yes. and twice this spring. I still haven't seen him in person. As a person who calls the office a lot, I used to say, I've seen films. So, <laughs> and, and really, so the first thing that stands out about him is the body. Absolutely. You just don't see... You see some college prospects, but the first thing that really stands out is this is a, a 6'4", 195-pound, just athletic body and I've gotten this year after his first start, texting with scouts and talking to guys because he started on a Friday, or did he start Saturday? I guess it was a Saturday, wasn't it? It was. It was a Friday. And then it was Friday, it was and then Carlos Rodon didn't start till Sunday because of the weather. And so I talked to a lot of scouts who saw him Sunday, who had seen him just, who had just seen Hoffman two days previously, two days prior. And Hoffman's athleticism stands out. Let's let's talk about his backstory a little bit because um, we keep on re- finding out more stuff. You've written a story on him. You talked to him. Uh, this is, uh, It sounds like a fairly typical Northern arm, in that there was he pitched a lot, and he had a successful high school career, but he didn't really start blossoming velocity wise until after late late in his high school senior year and that summer. Correct. Absolutely. Once he actually
1: got got to campus and and the drafted pass, he started to really turn on. And even and even before that, you know, he showed some flashes flashes in the summer. We did know that some teams tried to make a run at him because he was an undrafted guy, but he had his. Yeah, he had his commitment to school. When he got to school, he ramped it up by the fall by about three or four miles an hour. And the next year he took another velocity jump. So it has just been a steady progression. And John talked about his athleticism. It only shows up in his delivery because it is so free and easy. It's long, it's loose, but he makes a jaw-dropping defensive play every single game. Hmm. He he just has I mean, his ability to to field his position, it's a premium athlete. You do
0: not see athletes like that in the college game very often. Feels like the other big question about Hoffman, besides the caliber of competition, Uh, in the last two years was really kind of the dominance factor, for lack of a better word. Uh, 6.9 strikeouts per nine in his college career to this point. He'd he'd been very good in the Cape. But as you said, part of that, I think, is a function of the inconsistency of his secondary stuff. At the college level, you rack up strikeouts with off-speed stuff. Absolutely. And The other part of that was what you said. He is a fastball, plane, drive the ball down. So even when you get a fastball, it has velocity, it has plane. Even when hitters hit it, there's a weak contact factor that's pretty high when he's on his game. How encouraging for you is it, and, and for scouts? You weren't there at his latest start, but he had 14 strikeouts against Western Kentucky the other day. I mean, Western Kentucky's not, you know, it's not an offensive juggernaut like Virginia. Um, you know, where Virginia's talking about six, seven guys getting drafted from that lineup. But 14 strikeouts had to be really encouraging just to see Clint that he showed the ability, as you said, the the slider and the changeup have flashed plus pitches, if not a tick above, um, that has to be the most encouraging thing out of Hoffman this year, is that you know, we, we've gotten uh, great reports on that secondary stuff, and now the numbers are starting to back it up. Absolutely, and scouts, and
1: scouts have said this to, to John and myself, that you know, that that is the only thing that they're waiting for, and, and John mentioned it, in the college game, you really get strikeouts via the breaking ball. And Hoffman's ability to pitch with his fastball, a scout told me uh, at the at the scout at the at the last game that I saw, you know that he could pitch, uh, you know he could throw 100 pitches in a pro start and, and pitch 85 and throw 85 fastballs. It is that sort of dominant fastball. I mean, he's going like to be able I'm to just... keep the ball on the ground. But yeah, like you said, just being able to command the secondary stuff and his changeup, which he did throw from a little lower arm slot, he's been able to correct that and get it up a little higher. The fact that he's been able to have such a great feel mm. for the changeup. Is is absolutely astounding because he, that was that was really uh, that lagged significantly behind all his other pitches last year, and then it was kind of an average showed average, but now it's it's made at least a full grade
0: jump just over the course of a few months. So when we're talking about Hoffman, and we talk about projection. We really aren't projecting that much on the stuff because it sounds like again the stuff has flashed that level. It's made that jump. It seems like we're talking more on projection on the body. Would that be more just to? Uh, maintain that delivery over a course of a 200-inning season. When we talk about the projection there, what's the most important part of that projection? Because I do think that's a significant difference between him and Carlos Rodon, is that when you're talking about Rodon, you're evaluating now stuff because there's not a lot of projection in the body, and there doesn't need to be, because at his best, it's been premium now stuff. It sounds like Hoffman has close to that, and there is projection. So where does the projection really factor in for you? Yeah, it's simply just being able to know, build build up the
1: full stamina to be able to get through 200 ends of a big league season because I mean he does go out there and he he's he's made his starts over the last two years with, without any sort of complications. But just being a, a little bit certain we know he's a premium athlete, but uh, you know certainly just getting a little more heftiness to the build, but but not not anything that impairs you know uh, his his loose, free, and easy arm action That's, and his long stride.
0: And I guess the other the last part on Jeff Hoffman for me is that. Again, that first weekend, it was one scout, one scout who used the word, and I, I ran it by another scout who said, yeah, that's fair, Verlander-ish. I mean, like, Justin Verlander is probably the most reasonable comp, similar geographic area, yep. similar body. Um, you know, the, uh, Verlander was in the CAA at the time. This is Conference USA, which is basically the old CAA. Um, there's a, I guess the difference is that Verlander did get a lot of strikeouts as an amateur, as a college pitcher. Because the curveball was more advanced, and it's a curveball. This is more of a slider. Which again, mm-hmm. unless you're throwing a Rodon type slider, for most pitchers, the sliders a ground ball pitch. Yeah. It's not always a strikeout pitch. You know, relievers who throw it with more plane, it's a strikeout pitch. But for starters, not too many starters have a slider as a strikeout pitch. So, for you, I guess it's a twofold question. A, do you run screaming from the room when you get the Verlander comp on this guy? Do you think it's reasonable? And B is that slider going to be a strikeout pitch for him at, at, at a big league level? First of all, uh, I, I certainly
1: think that is absolutely fair. I mean, it you know it's a little audacious when you when right. you think about somebody like that. But um, if anybody is going to fit the bill, it's going to be him. And I think the slider certainly is is going to you know be a big league swing and miss pitch because right now you know he calls it a slider. Frankly, a lot of scouts have said it's probably more of a curveball because it's going to sit in the low 80s and he'll throw what he says is a curveball, in the mid-70s. But scouts aren't really even sure that, the, that that will be allowed to be thrown at the next level. So that right. is a true swing and miss curveball at its best with two-plane break that he can throw at either side of the plate.
0: And that's, you know, that, that's really the only question that I have left about Hoffman, just based off your reports, is just that breaking ball. It sounds like there's more in there. There's, there's more is. in the tank. And the fact that he's made this improvement with the changeup, the fact that he has this level of, of athleticism, so you combine that with the aptitude he's shown with the change piece, that makes you that's gotta get you pretty excited. So let's flip the switch a little bit to Carlos Rodon. Um, what we've seen out of Carlos so far this year has been the same similar problems we saw out of him last year, just where he's just not quite in peak form. And when he makes a mistake, he makes a mistake up. So when you make a mistake up against metal bats, even these BB core bats, you can get punished. And the other the other thing we see behind them is uh, an NC State team that's been shut out twice this year, and both times it was in a Carlos Rodon start. So, um, you saw him last summer in against Cuba. That was unbelievable. That was at his best. That was Carlos. I mean, that was a good pitcher pitching his best. What's your take on him this spring compared to last summer? He's
1: he's touched ninety five, and in, in, in that Cuba start, we saw him touch ninety six. He's been sitting more, you know, ninety one than ninety three. Certainly, we'd like to see him ramp that up. But you know, a few people have said this is a guy who's built you know, his, his schedule to be able to pitch effectively from April to right. May and, and, and even into the College World Series. So certainly we think we're going to start to see more of that as as the as the season goes along. But the slider hasn't been quite as sharp as it was at Cuba. You know, that is certainly a very high standard. but it right. is still, that was at, amazing at least that night. It, it was. It's still at least a plus offering. The changeup, which he did show um, pretty well in that Cuba game, it has not been quite as sharp throughout the course of the season. But certainly, um, you know, he, showed, he,
0: sent, he showed aptitude for it. It's going to be there. The one, the one thing that you've pointed out this spring that I, you know, I'm definitely going to look for the next time I watch Carlos is the delivery, the release point, it, it appears that he really does kind of vary the release point from time to time depending on the pitch because he has such torque in that delivery with his torso toward the plate to get that direction to home. And he talked about it when I was with him that day uh, for the feature I wrote. And he just got up and showed me like how he because he's trying to get better extension out from, but not too much. He I think he felt that he used to stride too much. He shortened his stride a little bit to help him have less recoil and better direction to the plate. But you've noticed that in doing so, that he, he has a hard time staying on top of his off-speed pitch, right? Absolutely and you know we certainly see this from a lot of a lot of old school
1: pitching guys what is the big criticism of pitchers today they're not they don't really locate low and inside and certainly that is going to be a little more prevalent for some young left handers because you're certainly going to see a lot fewer left handed hitters at the plate so because of that he hasn't been able to locate to that low and inside quadrant quite as well because as john said he's a a great rotational athlete. I mean, his the brute force that he, he creates with his delivery is incredible. It's so a strong he, core too. I mean, he, he has
0: a real. Str- he has his man strength in his torso. Right now, you don't need any projection. He has the strength to repeat that. And you look at that guy. And as long as you feel like the shoulder is going to be okay, if you feel like the recoil is not a big issue, it's easy to see 220 innings coming out of that body. No right? question. It, it is. It is certainly a body built for it. Yeah. So another another guy who's built for that is Tyler Beatty. and so I want to talk a little bit about the college class because we have a little bit more uh, news on those guys. But uh, th- what it sounds like so far, early returns, Clint, is that most of the it, uh, the notes that I wrote were, were, was that uh, there's a lot of Dennis Green in this draft. A lot of these guys are who we thought they were. So we want to crown them? Crown them. Um, <laughs> but but you know, but Tyler Beatty's the guy who probably came into the year with the most questions. I mean, let's face it, entering his freshman year. He was the top freshman in the country because he was an unsigned first-round pick. Um, and he's had good moments and bad moments in those first two seasons. He was a Southeastern Conference Pitcher of the Year last year. So for a guy with the scouts who had their questions, I, I like the fact that he won 14 games. I know wins aren't the greatest stat, but it, it is what you are trying to do as a baseball player is win games. No question. He helped his team win games a lot more often than he helped them lose them last year and did that when he was not at his best. The reports sound like they've been quite good. I remember the guys I talked to saw Beattie very good the first weekend out of Long Beach. Uh, what are you hearing about Tyler Beattie? What are the improvements that he's made from last summer, he was kind of a disaster with the college national team, yeah. to this spring? The
1: first time we saw him last summer was that Cuba game, and he did not even get through two innings there. He... he he had, I think, three or four walks. Of, he got of bailed like out seven by seven or eight. Yeah, he got bailed out by like uh, a
0: ground ball, hard ground ball, right at someone for a double play.
1: Yeah, and and for all of his uh, all of his credentials as the SEC Player of the Year, he did walk nearly five per nine throughout his career heading into this season. But he's been able to control it and command it a lot better. And he has made some alterations with his delivery, with his lower half, you know, to be able to get over his front side a little better. And uh, the breaking ball has also. Uh, has also improved. You know, he's always been a fastball change-up guy. But the breaking ball has shown plus. And so, you know, you look at it, he's not too far off from Hoffman when when you just... You know, when you talk about the the ability to have three-plus pitches and now with his improved command and, you know, next weekend is going to be a huge start for him against LSU. That That's going to be one of the best pitching matchups of the entire season there with, with he and, and Aaron Nola, another guy who could go in the first round.
0: Yeah, and both guys unsigned Blue Jays draft picks from 2011. <laughs> um, you know, I'm obsessed with that fact. <laughs> so I'll keep mentioning it this and year. And Luke Weaver. Yeah, exactly. Um, I know Aaron fits talking about going to Nashville next weekend. I don't know if he's... Uh, May have talked himself out of going, but that's that's definitely I think a must-see series. Um, but the, the thing that stands out for me for Tyler Beattie is again he's a northern fresh arm. I don't know if he's ath- as as uh, as athletic as Jeff Hoffman, he's but us is a but athle- he's not. But a, he's athletic yes. for a college pitcher. No question. I think that almost gets a little undersold in this. So again, the aptitude, the ability to make those adjustments that he had struggled with his first two years. That's got to be the most encouraging sign, I would imagine, for, for scouts is they knew the arm was there. They knew the arm strength was there. They all saw the secondary stuff flash as good as it did in high school. That's why he was a first-round pick. Yeah. So to finally see the the aptitude kick in a little bit, that has to be... The best part, is not it? For you, for you, is that the the absolutely the one stands out? Because you're right. I mean, even though he did, he did not have a great
1: season yet last year with his command, I mean, he still entered the year as a probable top ten pick. So there was right. certainly a floor for how far you know he could he could go. But now that we've already seen the aptitude start to play up, um, you know, he could certainly factor into the top five picks, if, if not a little higher.
0: Uh, we've got a lot of looks this spring already at uh, um, at Trey Turner, the top position player on the board for us. I want, I want, at least on the college side, I guess on the, on the entire amateur side, I want to just touch base with you. Have any other college position players done a whole lot or stood out in any way? You went and saw Brandon Downs with Virginia. You saw that Virginia lineup. Um, we can talk a little bit about that. Brandon Downs is a cheese ball of mine. Coming into last, going into the summer last summer, got to see him, uh, Virginia against North Carolina, and talking to ACC coaches about Virginia before I did that series on TV that was the guy on Virginia that every, all the other coaches were talking about. Absolutely. So now Brandon Downs goes, this, goes to the Cape, a pretty iffy summer performance-wise. He's come out, balls of fire. And just, Do you feel like uh, – so Derek Fisher came into the year 10th on our college top 100 list. Nick Howard was in the 40s. Brandon Downs in the early 50s. There's a lot of scouts who've seen a lot of that team already, Clint, or are going to see that team a lot already because they've also got Mike Pappy. Uh, they've also got Brandon Cogswell, so four preseason All-Americans, all hitters, and, and Howard was a narrow miss as a fifth. Uh, what's your take on the Cavaliers team so far, and is downs, does he have the ability to be the first position player picked off uh, out of that group? I still
1: think right now, if you were to go with the consensus, it would still probably be Fisher. But if if Downs continues to show well in all facets of the game, there's no reason that he couldn't. Because every tool you think has a chance to be at least average. The hit tool is probably the, the least advanced of those, but it's a great looking body. He's athletic. A lot of people think he's got a chance to stay in the middle of the field, even though he does not have uh, premium speed. And if he just continues to perform, there's no reason that he couldn't. And speaking of performance, um, Mike Poppy is certainly a guy who separates himself there. Almost you gave know, you a Tom uh, Tom of there. What did I think of his performance? <laughs> Sorry, Can we listened to that too. It's in my head. <laughs> I apologize. When I saw Mike Poppy, I was surprised. Uh, I, he was a much better athlete than I anticipated. I actually got him as a plus run time hmm. down the line. He never swings and misses. Uh, he has supreme bat control. He, he's he's. Well on his way to leading the league in uh, in walk percentage again this year, um, I think he was at like nineteen percent last year something like that his secondary skills and he 's going to be able to hit for some pop too he 's got some good uh, good pop to the opposite field um, you know yep. and and he, since he moves well and he 's got an above average arm you know even though he 's playing first base right now that 's more dictated by the team. he could fill a corner outfield spot so for a performance driven team in front office.
0: This could certainly be a guy who factors into the top fifty picks. Yeah, and it's amazing because Virginia really hasn't hit its stride yet offensively no. as a team. Aaron and I talked about this on the podcast on Monday, um, but Joe McCarthy's a you know he's a good prospect, good hitter. But I you know, Pappy Downs and uh, Fisher—if those three guys were the outfield, that'd be a sick college outfield, just in terms of what, you know those all could be first or second round picks. And it's interesting because this is one of my other pet rants that you probably heard in the last nine months college outfielders. There just aren't a lot of them in the big leagues. Absolutely. And Brandon Downs is really fighting it as a right, right college outfielder trying to get to the major leagues. And to his advantage, he's a center fielder. And the guys that you think of in the big leagues who have overcome that are Carlos Quentin, corner guy, f- personal cheese ball, um, Hunter Pence, certainly not a guy that anyone ever wants to get compared to, despite his <laughs> performance, just because he's so unconventional. So scouts will never... Unless somebody does it like Hunter Pence, you're never going to see anyone compared to Hunter Pence. Absolutely. <laughs> you ever heard a scout make a Hunter Pence comp and that would be flattering? Never. One guy just because of the
1: body. Okay. Um, a guy down in Texas, Tristan Gray, high-waisted long lean guy just because of the body. He's he's a rare breed of animal.
0: Yeah I mean he really is and then uh, most of the rest of the right right college alumni who are outfielders the big leagues were infielders guys like Ryan Braun. So Downs is really trying to buck some uh, historic convention there. You also like Nick Howard uh, you know who in my mind we got a lot of for whatever reason people criticize the Jameis Winston 13 All-America thing which I just thought was strange. It was a vote and he was voted on by people who know more so he was voted on there but nick howard was really close to him in that voting and you got a good look at nick howard as well just gut feel I mean you only saw him one time i know you talked to some scouts about him there what's the consensus you think on whether he gets drafted as a hitter or as a pitcher is it is the bat because the right-handed power or is the arm just that special it's really going to be tough when you go out there and see you know ninety three to ninety six
1: and touch ninety seven. It's really going to be tough to pass that up. Even even though you know he certainly has all the physical attributes to be to be a solid position player. It's 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 really tough and uh, and he throws pretty good strikes too. I mean much like all those Virginia guys, they really command the fastball. Um, you know he, he, he has premium velocity with and commands as well, has at least a solid average breaking
0: ball and a good, good durable body. Does the Virginia delivery, which I think some people know but what we're talking about is basically the pitchers get on the mound, they immediately squat into what their pitching coach calls an athletic position, but they bend the knees, you don't see anybody else do this, and then it's a very quick up-tempo delivery with an emphasis on sinking, two seamers, it's a... Uh, what is it called, National Pitching Association, if you want to look it up. Uh, You know, delivery, it's a very much a a cookie-cutter approach. There's no other way to put it. Um, And now you have Danny Holtzen getting hurt and having a significant shoulder issue. Brandon Klein, it wasn't an injury related to his arm, and it was kind of a trauma, quote-unquote, injury. So it wasn't a repeated-use injury. But those are the two uh, highest-drafted pitchers out of this. The only Virginia pitcher who's made it to the major leagues during this last decade the Cavaliers have been a very good college program and dominated constant top tens in the nation in the ERA, is Sean Doolittle. And Sean Doolittle did pitch there, but he's a failed position player who had a significant knee injury, converted the mound, and you know just kind of blows it out on the bullpen. So all that long-winded setup, do you think that factors in? Because Nick Howard is 6'4", 215, without arm strength. He looks like a profile third baseman to me, and he's got raw power. Do you think that the Virginia pitching issues... Could prompt the team to draft them as a hitter instead? That's that's a great question, and uh, well, it took a it,
1: long time to get there, so <laughs> it better well, be good. Frankly, I'm not sure because in speaking with uh, with Brandon Klein in the fall, you know, he said that it's something that teams are certainly aware of. He said within his first 24 hours of of being signed by the Orioles, they said, "All right, that delivery, it's going to get tweaked. The things that you, do you do at Virginia are not going to carry through." And you know, scouts have said that this is you know, it, it's an effective delivery. They execute pitches just as good as anybody, but you just don't see it. You know, So I think it's uh, something that teams will certainly take note of and pass along to their player development people, but I'm not sure how much, of, uh, I mean, how much that does impact their decision because 97 is, is 97 regardless. Right, and it's
0: Carl Kuhn who is their pitching coach, and I always get his name wrong, so that's why I, I wanted to make sure I looked it up. But uh, I always want to call him Kiel uh, of the, of the uh, athletics scout fame. But Carl Kuhn does a great job at Virginia in making them. No team, I don't think, other than maybe Texas, has been as consistent in the top ten in the country in ERA as Virginia, and yet maybe you hear it in my voice. I'm skeptical of that approach. It hasn't worked in pro ball. I'm not a fan of the cookie-cutter approach. Um, you saw I used to see it at Florida State, um, and as soon as it changed, Florida State's program got better. Uh, I used to see it a lot with uh, Georgia Tech teams or at Wake Forest. Bob Miranda would do that a lot, and I love Bob. Um, he was a little bit less doctrinaire about it, You've seen it in a lot of other college programs around the country. These are just the ones that are off the top of my head. But I've never seen it as doctrinaire as you see it at Virginia. And it is an issue, and I just think with a spectacular, kind of not flame out, but just the, you know, Danny Holtz was not the consensus number two pick in a loaded 2011 draft. He gave him $8 million on a major league contract with a $6.35 million signing bonus. And three years later, his career's in jeopardy. I just think think that that's going to be in a lot of people's heads. So, for me, I'll, I'll be surprised if Nick Howard, if he hits the way he's hitting, I'll be surprised if he goes out as a pitcher. That said, so far, it was very small sample size, but he's doing what you want to see him do. He's given up one hit, no walks, and six innings. I mean, what else can the guy possibly do? So, if you have a chance to go see the Virginia Cavaliers this year and you like seeing baseball from a scouting and player development point of view, I would strongly encourage you to go through the Cavaliers. No better team in the country. Not in terms of talent. It's not close. From a scouting point of view, it doesn't sound like it's close. Um, let's talk about the high schools, uh, Clint, because that's your main focus is the draft, but you also cover the high school part of it. And, again, what really stands about the, uh, stands out about the class from an overview standpoint, Clint, is just the velocity. Um, we just did not see this velocity in the high school class <laughs> last year. No. And uh, it was stunning. In fact, I have the best high school pitcher in the draft for me last year was Connor Jones, and he's at Virginia. And he already (laughs) did—I'm contradicting myself—he already did the NPA stuff as a high school guy. (laughs) But he executed it so well, and the arm was so quick. Uh, He's a great body. He's fun. Connor Jones is fun to watch. Um, But this high school class—I mean, if, if you're grading last year's high school pitching class on a 2080 scale, what would you give it? And what grade would you give this year's high school class? Potentially as a future grain, probably a, th- a thirty-five or forty on last year, and I think this That's has a chance fair. to be a
1: fifty-five or sixty. And speaking with the cross checker today, he said that from the high school side, this has the chance to be uh, just in terms of the sheer depth, maybe not the impact. All at the top, but in terms of the sheer depth of high school arm, this has the chance to be the best draft in at least five years. That, that certainly rings that, that, that's a ringing endorsement when you consider you know the 2011. Guys from the
0: 2011 draft. In 2011 was Jose Fernandez has been the best one so far. The top one at the time was Dylan Bundy and Archie Bradley. Uh, Taylor Guerrero was highly regarded at that time. Robert Stevenson was in that draft. Uh, 2011 high school draft was pretty good. Now last year the first high school pitcher draft that went seventh overall that was Trey Ball. The high school first high school right hander director was Phil Bickford, who did not sign. Those were probably the two hardest throwing guys. They weren't at the Under Armour uh, showcase. So I didn't see them with my own. Well, no, Ball was, but I don't think his velocity was that great. Um, other high school arms who were taken. Geez, you, I'm going down a long way to Hunter Harvey. Um, it just wasn't a great class. Tyler Kolick has been at the top of the high school class among the high school pitchers. It uh, seems like since last spring, even b- right before he broke his arm. Um, but again, kind of the classic Texas fireballer. How far ahead of just the high school arms is Tyler Cole perceived to be? Is there a pretty decent gap, or was T- Tuki Toussaint out of Coral Gables fairly close to him? I think there, I think there's a clear
1: separation because of the body and just how fresh the arm is and you know we 've seen or we 've seen reports you know that he has touched ninety nine and a hundred on some guns, but it wouldn 't surprise you if he went out and threw one hundred one and even though that sounds audacious because he was still ramping up last summer because right. he still took about i think eight weeks off when everybody else was in the in the middle of their spring season, so he was still ramping up and he was a three sport guy he focused exclusively on baseball throughout the previous few months of of his season, so, you know, I, I think I think there is a clear separation there, because everybody else in the class, even though they are certainly talented, there is still a knock on them from, you know, a body standpoint or a command standpoint, so I think there is a clear separation. And
0: it's interesting, because I think of Kolek as a kind of a maxed out guy, but I like that, just a little background that maybe he's physically maxed out, because he's 6'5", 245, there's nothing wrong with being physically, it probably would probably be a good thing if he's physically maxed out, we don't want him to... I love Jeff Niemann, but I don't want him to look get as big as <laughs> Jeff Neiman. You know, stop growing, Tyler. But, um, but there is there's projection there in terms of just improving, just baseball Abs- athleticism. It yes. sounds like, right? Absolutely. Just getting his reps and, and being more of a baseball centered guy,
1: he, and he's working with a pretty renowned pitching coach down there, Reese Smith, who was Jamison Talion's pitching okay. coach. So just being able, being able to work work out with him when he was focusing on basketball and
0: on football, certainly you're going to be able to see baseball specific
1: improvements.
0: And there's just there's such a variety of high school pitch, pitcher types in this class. That's one of the things I like the most about this, Clint. Is that there's something for everyone. No matter what kind of organization you are, if you like, if you don't mind. The six foot right hander, as long as he throws cheddar. Well, here's Grant Holmes, and here's Sean Reed Foley, and here's Luis Ortiz. If you want all projection athleticism, well, here's you know Alex Verdugo from the left side, or here's uh, uh, Kobe Johnson. You know, there's all kinds of guys. Tuki Toussaint. Nothing spells projectable like the long armed uh, Haitian uh, origin, uh, still trying to get a hold of his body. Tuki Toussaint. Uh, there's a lot of different kinds of guys. There's righties, lefties. They're just such depth of high school arms on the on the high school side, such variety of them. Um, which, where do you think the the biggest strength is among all that? Is it just the fact that there's this sheer volume of velocity? I think so. Because yeah, you look at it left, right. Any which
1: way, I mean, we have you know a handful of lefties who could factor into the first round. And granted, last year was not a great high school crop by any means, as we discussed. But last year you had you did have three high school lefties go in the first round, and certainly with uh, with Brady Aiken, Mac Marshall, and a handful of others, Alex Verdugo, you could certainly see something like that happen again this year. Uh, but, but the velocity really just does stand out. And Tuki Toussaint, who John mentioned earlier, you know he's had some questions about his strike-throwing ability. It showed up uh, throughout the showcase circuit at uh, nearly every single event. But we had great reports from his start earlier this week where he sat 93-97. to 97. The breaking ball was better. There's more strike-throwing arm action. He is a premium athlete. You really just don't see guys like that on the mound very often. Honestly, but,
0: when, I, when I see him, I can't help. I'm, I'm going to say it. I don't think I've ever said it out loud. He just kind of looks like Bob Gibson when he's pitching. <laughs> I am, part of it is because uh, of the uh, – uh, part of it, I'm sure, is this the racial part of it. I'm just – in my head. But to me, the long arms, the athleticism, the fact that the delivery is just so, – it's an old-school kind of delivery. I mean, it's a focus on athleticism. He did not learn his delivery, Clint, by watching videos of, or watching big leaguers. He just like, oh, you want me to pitch? Okay, here's what I'm going to do. He's only been playing baseball for four years. Yeah, so it just feels like it's a very organic, not store-bought. I'm not knocking anybody who's been quote-unquote overcoached. I'm not trying to knock that. I'm just saying his delivery just seems like it flows from his athleticism and the body and these long arms. I can't think of anybody else other than Gibson that he reminds me of. I think that's a good call. I mean, just the the arm speed is absolutely... Yeah, the I mean, arm whip. Yeah, and it, ha- and it has to I, be because his arms are so freaking long. <laughs> but he's he's a really unique pitcher. And the other thing that I think of with Tucson and that's already being borne out by the start of the high school season is that we talk so much about the rise of travel ball and showcases, but the thing that separates the high school spring season from that is your high school team doesn't have a bunch of arms. So when you're Tuky Tucson, you're that much better than everybody else. You're asked to go six, seven innings. So this is really the only time, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the best time that scouts get to see guys actually make pitches. Yes. Go through lineups multiple times and not just pitch to the radar. How, how, how so how important is that spring season, considering this is the only time they really get to see guys make pitches and go through lineups? That is absolutely critical. If you
1: talk to you know guys at the top of the food chain from the scouting environment, you know the cross-checkers and the directors, what they focus on is the hitters throughout the showcase season because they want to see the hitters okay. against the premium velocity because... Uh, you know, especially in the majority parts of the country, you're not going to be able to sit on a position player quite as well. You're going to have to pick out just a few key spots where you might see him face a guy who's sitting 85-88, but then the spring, you really just bear it down on the pitchers because a lot of these guys have such big gaps between where they are on the showcase circuit when they're throwing one and two innings and their arm is fresh, just going event to event, to where they are in the spring on a consistent basis, going through the lineup multiple times. That, that's what makes Jupiter a pretty unique environment there, because you know once you actually get out of pool play, you know Grant Holmes had a five inning start there, right? And so to be him to see him go through a lineup multiple times that's absolutely critical, and that is that, that's a, a very competitive environment too. So so yeah, the, sp- the spring is critical, and just seeing somebody go through a lineup multiple times and how the, the velo sustains because a lot of people think. You know where a guy's fastball is going to project is where his fastball is going to sit. Not in the first inning, but well, probably in the fourth and fifth inning. Right. And that's you right. rarely get that on the showcase circuit.
0: And that's why I mean you're wearing it today because it's cold as all get out here and rainy and nasty. <laughs> you're wearing your Metropolitan Baseball Classic, um, and that, that's the beginning of the, this, this event that the Mets started last year. Um, and the whole focus of that was a kind of in reaction to the travel ball circuit and like taking advantage of that, but putting it in a more competitive environment. And wanted to see pitchers throw deeper, and that was the whole point of the creation of that event, was it not? oh absolutely, and talking to Tommy Tannis, who was really the brainchild for this,
1: you know he said that he missed the days when he could go out and scout a legion ball team and really just get to know the feel of the legion ball team, the personality of it seeing them run through a tournament, see them in a competitive environment, not a showcase environment right. um, so that was really the impetus for this, and they they 're going to have it again this 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 upcoming uh, end of the summer, and it's going to be another great event. Last year there was a star-studded uh, group of rosters,
0: and this year is certainly going to be even better. Clint, uh, let's, let's focus on a little, couple more high school guys I wanted to ask you about. It um, does sound like, again, just from a, a pitching standpoint, we've had very good early reports on Grant Holmes. Uh, you know, Up to 98, you just wrote about him the other day, some video of Grant Holmes recently. Who, who are some other high school players who've kind of jumped up a little bit? You just had our first draft tracker of the year online this week. Just who are some of the high school kind of movers this early? I mean, granted it's the first week of March and a lot of the countries had just horrific weather in terms of a baseball standpoint.
1: Yeah. And start started to just simply repeat what we wrote online, but I think Michael Kopic is probably the number one guy. He's a high school right hander out of Texas. In talking with an evaluator in the fall, he said, I think that this is the guy that could make the leap that Hunter Harvey did last last spring, you know, when That's a fascinating when, he, when he ran it up to ninety-seven and, and all the directors and cross-checkers had to run in there and see him. And uh, in his in his first few starts, Michael Kopic already ran it up to ninety-six. And he has one of the best pitching bodies in the entire draft. He, he's he's a fascinating guy, and we certainly saw him on the big stage at the Under Armour All-American game. I think he struck out all three hitters that he faced. His breaking ball was pretty sharp. Showed above average potential. Um, he's he's really an exciting guy. And uh, he was missed. interesting in that game. And the yeah. body, like you said, just
0: what really stands out. No question. So he's he certainly made the jump. Um, a couple other things on the high school hitter side. Um, this is you know we talked about this last summer. I'm not sure if we podcasted about it. I guess we probably didn't. But the kind of the thread about the high school class has been like, who are the position players who can hit? who are the guys with some hit ability, if that's a word, and the guys who have that feel or knack for hitting are not the guys who have the better bodies, not the guys who have the projection. It's more like the uh, uh, the third baseman, Michael Chavis. Mm-hmm. It's more uh, those kind of guys who... Who's five foot ten and has performed? He's been been compared physically to Ron Say,
1: whose whose (laughs) nickname was the Penguin. If that gives you any sort of physical description, Michael Chavis. You
0: want to look up if you if you don't know who Ron Say is, you want to look up YouTube Ron Say plus the Superstars and watch him run in the old ABC Superstars competition because it's awesome to watch him in the hundred yard dash. Um, But then the guys who are more toolsy and have more upside. Alex Jackson, Jacob Gatewood, Nick Gordon—those guys—the the bat's a little bit more in question. And that this is the fact that he has a, some present hitting ability, and of course, a lot of present for a high school player. Power gets Braxton Davidson up that high. Feels like Davidson and Nick Gordon are two of the more split camp guys among our elite high school hitters. Is that fair? It is. And with Davidson, it's not so
1: much questioning him, it's a question of where do you value the left-handed hitting high school first baseman. Right. It's it, It's a rare demographic. I think uh, from from last year, the last, or with Dominic Smith last year, yep. the, the last time that we had had somebody who fit that profile was in 2008 with Eric Cosmer. So Correct. if you go five years, it's going to be tough to turn around and have somebody you know, in, in a second consecutive draft, but he certainly has the physical attributes to do that. He's one of the... He's one of the best pure hitters and is also one of the best uh, you know p- power projection guys, but you know uh, to be able to see him face you know some quality pitching at the NHSI, which is coming up at the end of the month is going to be huge you know certainly see uh same side pitching because it seems like when he struggled it was against same side pitching but uh, yeah it's it, it's a power bat and, it, and its pre- it's pretty interesting. but yeah, just where do teams value that sort of player in Nick Gordon? Um, he he had a fair, fairly good showing on the showcase surrogate. He was around at a lot of a lot of events, um, but this like camp Campbell John talked about. You know, some of the area guys were wondering, where, what does this all add up to? Because with the exception of his arm, there's probably not a tool that you can confidently say is plus. His defense could
0: be plus, but um, even the arm like is I mean, that, that's probably his best. to the, the speed at, I mean to say? Maybe the speed is. Not He's not like D. Gordon, no. which is what, his uh, brother or half-brother? It is his half-brother. Yeah, he'll he'll show you plus times in the
1: 60-yard dash, but in terms of times out of the box, it's more average. Right. But, yeah, there, there's, there's just a ton of projection with, with the body, and so, yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating to see where, where teams value him.
0: He feels like he's just one of these players where the area scouts um, are not as excited about him because they see him... So often they see the flaw. They've seen him for two years, at Correct. least. And the national guys, the, the, the guys who see him in the showcases, the scouting directors who see him but don't see him, I mean, they may see him a lot, but they don't see him as often. They don't see workouts. They don't see, or They, they guys see workouts, they don't see every game. They seem to, he seems to the kind of player that the scouting director and the national crosschecker would value more because they're putting that player in a context of 100 national players and they're saying, I don't see any of shortstops who do this. Yes. But the area scouts, see the flaws. I think, and the flaws stand out more for the area guy than for the national guy. Absolutely, and as John talked about, you know, just the national guys having uh, having that
1: larger perspective. You know, just getting a domestic shortstop is is a per- is a pretty rare thing uh, to do, especially someone who can contribute. Offensively and defensively, and th- that that is what makes him such such unique uh, such unique player is that he's going to be able to contribute really in all facets of the game. He's not going to be an impact probably in any single
0: one, but just across the board, a solid, very solid player. And just to go back to that high school first baseman thing for a second, as we prepare to wrap up the draft Podcast, um, 2006, you had Chris Parmalee and Cody Johnson, both high school players, kind of first base outfielder types at the time. Question about how much um, athleticism was there with both guys, but both guys from you know uh, cal- Southern California with Parmley and a long track record of hitting, um, I forget what the team, it was the uh, ABD. He was an ABD Bulldog, um, was a star player. Teams had seen him for a long time. He's had a big league career. I, I don't know if you'd call him a success or disappointment. I'd say a mild disappointment because he's never really sees a job as a big league regular. Uh, but he has had several years of big league time. Cody Johnson, the first round bust, He had a lot of minor league home runs, but strikes out a ton. Feels like Braxton Davis is a little bit closer to a Chris Parmalee type. Both California guys, but I mean, it just—it's rare. Uh, just giving you an idea of the—you know—this is the other perspective. Again, the national guy brings is you're evaluating this player against guys you may have seen a decade ago. And also, you. This is one of the problem. One of the uh, features I think that analytics in the draft brings is okay. Maybe you, if your scouting director doesn't have ten years of high school guys that he's seen who are high school first baseman, your analytics department can crunch those numbers. You at home can crunch those numbers using the Baseball America all time draft database, which is free at baseballamerica.com. <laughs> nice. um, but so you can look up these things as well and say, oh, my, if my team just drafted Braxton Davidson, how have these other. High school left-left first baseman done, and both Johnson and Parmalee also were left-handed hitters. High school right-handed first baseman in the first round? Don't see him. No. Don't want to. do not don't win with him. Sorry, that's another, yeah, another uh, coach's rant. You could tell that I listened to the Mike and Mike program this week. Um, the last guy I wanted to finish up on just because you've talked about him a little bit, and we could go on and on if we wanted to, uh, but, but we, we probably shouldn't. But Forrest Wall, uh, talking about a tough profile. Um, Forest Wall and you—I actually had some news on Twitter today about Forest Wall. Did you not? But so this is a yeah. high school second baseman who's in our top twenty draft prospects on the high school side. That is rare in and of itself. Uh, so we can talk about that, how tough that profile is. But what's the news on Forest Wall, and what is the profile of Forest Wall? It's a fascinating
1: one because uh, you really just don't see high school second baseman. You know, Gosuke Kato last year from Rancho Rancho Bernardo, who went in the second round of the Yankees, is one of the more prominent examples, but it it is a type that you really just don't see. And uh, to bring up to news, he uh, he had a shoulder injury that he sustained last Saturday, jammed his shoulder. He's going to be out for a few days. And unfortunately, one of the bigger games on his calendar was matching up uh, today versus the first academy, which has... Two of the better left-handers in the country, with Foster Griffin and Adam Hazley. So scouts certainly, you know, are very disappointed that, that matchup is not going to happen. But he is—he's uh, one of the more fascinating guys because he—he he has one of the best pure hit tools in the entire class, and he's also a speed demon. He'll give you—he'll give you times down down the line around around four zero. So it's at least, at least a sixty-five or seventy grade runner, and he's got the chance for above-average power. And so you look at it; all those tools are absolutely fantastic. He's Pretty, pretty good defender with, with the glove as well, but he had labrum surgery in 2011, and his arm um, is towards the bottom of the scale. And and that that is really just going to give a lot of teams pause. Even though the bat is immense and one of the be- best in the entire class, you're going to have to throw the ball at some point. So certainly, we hope uh, you know that the injury is able to come back from pretty quickly because you know uh, he he's one of the best chances to hit out there in the entire class. And and he he's been p- compared by by some people to a a high school version of Dustin Ackley in it because he is uh, committed to UNC. But you look at it, you know, a guy with a premium hit tool and plus speed. You know, there's a lot of you know similar similar attributes. as six foot one second baseman, and huh. Ackley also had, you know, elbow injuries right. um, that he sustained. So, so there, there's a lot of similarities between those two players.
0: That's fascinating. And uh, the, the part of that to me is that you, the other guy you sound like you were describing was uh, Johnny Damon, because I know Johnny Damon didn't play infield because he's a left-handed thrower. But when you're talking about bottom of the scale arm, Johnny Damon personifies a 20 arm to play in the major leagues. I mean, he, he might have been below the scale. The arm was so bad. You know, at what point do you think scouts are going to say Forrest Walters need to go to center field? He can run, but the arm strength—you know—you can you can play with a 20 arm in center field because if you run everything down, you make up for a lot of other mistakes. I mean, at what point do you think he has to move to the outfield? That's a great
1: question. Honestly, I think right now people are actually more confident with him in the infield, even though the speed could certainly play out there. But just the uh, actions are just, infield actions. They are certainly. And but just being able to reduce the throwing distance that he has—that that's that's really what it boils down
0: to. In second base though, you can't be a big league second baseman if you can't turn double play. Yeah, if you can't throw, you can't turn the double play. So that's that's yeah. where I'm thinking of where the outfield might have to come into question here because it just yeah. it sounds like it's, like it's just a, a shame. I mean, he just sounds like a fascinating player. So. Yeah,
1: and we, we certainly hope that it's a pretty speedy recovery for him with, with, his, with his shoulder
0: injury. Well, the next time we talk, talk draft, it'll be 100% in the high school uh, uh, you know, universe because we do want to talk about the NHSI. That is March 26th to 29th, USA Baseball National High School Invitational. Uh, the eight teams that are headed there are Venice, Florida, Milton, Georgia, Dyer County from Newburn, Tennessee, T.C. Robertson in Nashville, the uh, alma mater of former B.A. staffer uh, John Royster. Oh, no, that was actually his wife. His wife's grandfather was T.C. Robertson. So I always thought that was kind of neat. Nice. Um, Mountain Point High out in Phoenix. Thunder Ridge from Highlands Ranch, Colorado. Parkview in Lilburn, Georgia. Coral Springs Academy. So eight of our top 25 teams. Make up half the field of, 12, of 16 teams in the NHSI. Uh, David Patterson out of Regis Jesuit out in Colorado, just out for... We'll miss it with a broken leg. So that's now we're down to ten top 100 prospects will be in that event, but it'll be a I great think event. Eight of the top 50 as well. So it's it's a star, it's got star sort of an power and depth. That's going to be a great event. We're going to have a lot of uh, sound and video from that. So we'll podcast beforehand. We'll podcast after We'll have some videos as well. So we'll save up some of our NHSI discussion for then. So that's coming in the next couple of weeks. Anything else you wanted to get into this podcast, Clint? Or are we? Can we? Can I think we're we all set. We're going to bounce. Clint's on his way to Johnson City, Tennessee to see Sean Newcomb in Hartford. I respect you significantly for making that trip. I've never made that trip, so enjoy uh, I-40, and uh, I hope the weather holds out for you on, on the roads, Clint. For Clint, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. I want to remind you, the podcast is powered by Louisville Slugger. Leave your mark with the 2014 attack, raid, and assault bat lineup this season. Stronger, lighter, farther Louisville Slugger. Clint, nice job on your maiden voyage here in the Nook. For Clint, I'm John. We'll see you next time. So long, everybody